Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. George, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Ruth? How have you been? I've been very well. Thank you for asking. You've been well? I've been well. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. You know, it's a great joy just to have you. I know this podcast is called Once Upon a Leader in Africa, but just knowing what you do, though you're placed in the Middle East, you know, it's close to Africa. I thought, you know, and the unique role that you have in what you do. I thought to myself, no, I'll, I'll ask Ruth to come onto this podcast. And thank you very much for agreeing. It is an absolute honor, George, honestly. And uh, even though I'm in the Middle East, I'm still the same village girl. You can take the girl from the village, but the village is, goes with her everywhere. So I still have those village values. I have Ubuntu in me and I apply my Ubuntu in my leadership and in my coaching. So it's not um, a novel thing to ask me, even though I'm in the diaspora. In fact, it's important that we tell these stories of African leadership because African leadership goes beyond African borders. And it is welcome even outside of those borders. So we should be speaking of leadership without borders originating from the mama land. That's what it is. Wow, well said. Now that you've said you're a village girl, tell us a little bit about yourself. I come from, I, I would say, yes, I have been raised in Nairobi, but I come originally from somewhere called Gatodo. Mm-hmm. And then from Gatodo, my family moved to Nyandarwa. I have lived in places called Leshaopondo. I have lived in places called Kefuruti in Wajohi. And I have gone to various primary schools, Leshaokondo Primary School, Kefuruti Primary School, Kemadi Primary School in Nairobi. I have also gone to, for higher education now, high school, I went to Kamboi Girls. I also went to St. Francis Girls, Kenya Utani College. And then I made my way to the Middle East to work in the hospitality industry thereafter. But I was uh, lucky enough that from Kenya, I, after I, I left the hospitality industry, I worked in the hospitality industry initially in Kenya, hotels, restaurants. But when I came to the Middle East, I was recruited from Nairobi for an international airline that is based in the Middle East. So that's my journey in a nutshell. We celebrate that, you know. Absolutely. And recently... Recently, I had one of my guests saying, you know, we need to be proud of where we've come from. You know, some people don't want to share that. So thank you for just even, you know, having fun saying that. And and it's not so much where we come from, it's who we are today. Yes. And the experiences, those places that I have been, 
shaped my life, my character, and directed the trajectory of my life thus far. They, they, they play a huge role. And I'm not ashamed to say I have walked barefoot to school. I have fetched water on my back, carried firewood on my back. And, you know, at the same time, I'm the same person who can say I can have breakfast in Dubai and dinner in Paris. I'm the same person. So I carry that with me. So for me, it's a huge honor and, and, and a blessing. Even saying that brings tears to my eyes because sometimes it's, when we speak about these things, we give permission to those who are in the same situations. Right now, that little girl carrying firewood on her back, uh, fetching water and digging in the garden or going to tend cattle and goats and all of that, all of those things that I have done, it gives her permission that that's not the only story that you're going to tell about yourself. There are more stories in the future. And uh, it keeps getting better and better. I, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Maybe not just telling us your, your, your current leadership responsibility. My current leadership, uh, I would say since 2006, having joined that international airline, I was uh, privileged. I worked from 2002. I joined them in 2002. So for the first four years, I was a junior crew member. And then from 2006, I assumed the position of an assistant to the leader, overall leader on board. That is called a flight person. Some airlines call it cabin service director. So from 2006 till 2008, I was in that assistant uh, position. And then from 2008, I assumed the overall leadership on board the aircraft. That means that all matters related to the cabin operations, the service, safety, security, looking after you know customers' welfare, well-being, crew, pilots, it lies on me as the overall leader on board or what we can refer to now as that flight person. Okay, interesting. You know, the position that you hold, people really don't seem to understand some of the things that you do. And uh, just what you have said is definitely a leadership role, you know, and, and maybe talk to us a little more just what it entails. You know, you've just given us an overview, but maybe just break it down a little more. First of all, let's first look at where is it staged? So we are talking about the Middle East. Now, in the Middle East, various cultures will come to work in the Middle East. So when I say I'm in an overall leadership position, I'm not managing one culture. It's multiple cultures, multiple generations as well. Because I am of a certain ripe, mature age at the moment. <laughs> And they are younger ones. And we can also say maybe the pilots could be older than me. So it's a multiple generational, multicultural leadership role that's not only tasked with their onboard duties as well, but looking after people from multiple cultures in the cabin because we are carrying various nationalities on board that aircraft. We are literally crossing borders and cultures as well. So what it entails is, first of all, from a safety, security, you know, lens, so to speak, you are the overall leader 
who is tasked with ensuring that the operation, once that door is closed, everything on board that aircraft will run as smoothly as possible and that passengers' safety and security is assured and you are the one guiding the team that is under you to perform their duties at their optimum levels with regards to safety and security, which is their primary role on board the aircraft. Most people uh, underestimate why the cabin crew are there. Cabin crew are not only there because service is important. Yes, customer service is important, but cabin crew are the one of the most adaptable people you'll ever find on board. They can be firemen. If there's a fire on board, they're expected to fight it and not let it escalate because fire is one of the most dangerous things you can have in an aircraft. If there's an emergency on board that aircraft, no matter how many people are on board that aircraft, they're expected to evacuate that aircraft within 90 seconds. Everybody should be out and accounted for. Now, if there's a medical situation, they assume the role of paramedics, so to speak, quote unquote, because they're expected to save lives and they have saved lives. They have delivered babies, yeah? And if, say, there was a security incident, passengers became unruly or disruptive, they're supposed to contain and de-escalate that situation, make sure nobody is harmed, calm that person who is becoming disruptive down, and actually act like almost psychiatry, so to speak, because they are expected not to use force initially. So they will use various conflict management techniques to de-escalate a situation, meaning they don't have to apply force at all. But if force is required and warranted, at the advice of their captain, they can apply that force and subdue that passenger. So it's a really multifaceted role that I feel the general public really do not have an awareness about. They, um, they look at it as service of chicken or beef or tea, coffee. It is not only that. That is one aspect of it. It's like the five fingers on your hands. That is one of them. You still have the other four, which are very, very important. So I, I, I sometimes feel um, crew or people who have left the role uh, find it quite hard to sell themselves or to transition into other vocations because of the judgment that's already placed on the role. But I would speak on behalf of my community, not only because I'm from that cabin crew community, but because I've had um, you know, the experience of flying for this international airline for 20 years. I've had various experiences that have tested my abilities, both on a personal and professional level. And I would say, if you were to hire a cabin crew into your company, if they were transitioning from the role into, you know, the normal everyday jobs, not flying, so to speak, you would have yourself an asset. They are the most adaptable people that I know, and they think on their feet all the time. Because on board the aircraft, if you run out of a resource, you have to think immediately, what do I do? It's not like you're going to stop by the market and get supplies. No. What do I do? What do I do with what I have to accommodate this situation? Yeah. If you are in a medical emergency and say for whatever reason you don't have any support or you cannot reach the medical um 
emergency uh, support that is on the ground, you have to deal with the situation. You have to rely on your training and trust yourself to save that life or at least to delay the inevitable until you can get on ground and someone comes to support you that is medically trained. So they are really, really assets. And I'm speaking on behalf of all of those that I know are still, um, you know, finding their footing after the pandemic or pandemic is still ongoing, but at the start of it, at the onset, they were the most affected people because obviously all planes were grounded. So it meant a lot of us lost our jobs. I'm grateful I kept my job during it. And that is when I was upskilling myself because I wasn't flying anymore. So I took the opportunity to complete my thesis that I had been putting off in a while. But I know most of them were affected and I'm speaking for all of them if I say, please hire a cabin crew or a former cabin crew member. You will not regret it. Thank you for that enlightenment. Really good. Yes, I'm just, I mean, and I agree with you because when one is in a plane, I mean, if something happens, mm. you know, you can't stop by the market. To, nope. to do <laughs> <laughs> you just have, you have to deal with it. It's really, it's really important to understand that rule. For you looking, wow, 20 years, that job and that yeah. up in the air and, and, and going through that so in terms of just some leadership lessons for yourself mm. uh, what are some of the things that you you have learned and, and helped to develop as a leader i would say when my eyes you know sometimes you say sometimes finally the scales do fall off <laughs> so of course you're trained in that capacity to be a leader so they will see the potential they develop the potential the airline does that they have a very important um department that deals with leadership uh, development and uh, once they have developed you then uh, you are left to establish your own leadership style no one can do that for you so of course at the onset I was finding my footing what is my style and I wanted to copy people that I have admired before not knowing that their experience was serving their purpose at that time my purpose is different my circumstances are different at any given day. Because remember, George, I'm not leading the same team every day. That is the beauty of my job. The team changes every day, <laughs> uh, which is, uh, it is a blessing and a challenge at the same time. It is a blessing in that if I have um, someone who is uh, not my cup of tea on the day, I can uh, rest in the peace that, uh, you know what? I just have to persevere you today. I might never see you again. Though those are the ones you see again. <laughs> that is how it works, isn't it? And also, if you get along with someone so well and you feel like, oh my goodness, I want to work with this person again, you might never see them again. So that's a blessing and the challenge in it. But what I found out was every situation or every team sometimes demanded a different aspect of me. And initially I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that. I thought I must establish one style and that one style will serve me throughout. So I remember in my development for leadership, they kept telling me, you need to be more assertive because I can be passive. I can be passive or I don't like to call it being passive. I like to call it picking my battles. 
if I look at a situation and I think, ah, yes, it is bad, but does it really affect the greater good for everyone? No? Okay, I'll let that go. So I don't always go after people for every little mistake because sometimes I also want them to figure it out for themselves the same way I, I figure it out sometimes for myself. So my coach kept telling me, Ruth, you really need to be assertive. And for me, especially coming from the village culture, we look at, at assertiveness as rudeness. Sometimes we don't know the difference. So if I tell you, oh, go help that person, I will feel like, oh, I should have said, please go and assist. And, you know, I feel like I should use all these words. But sometimes the circumstance calls for me to tell you, go now. You know, there's no time to waste. So because I was trying to develop that assertiveness and I didn't know the limits of it or, you know, how far can I go? Sometimes I came across as quite harsh. And I didn't realize that because they would say, oh, you just tell us something and you walk away. But for me, I would do that because I don't want to debate after. Because I know if we debate, I'll probably give in to your demands. So I would tell you something and I walk away because <laughs> I don't want to debate about it. Yeah. So I'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you go and uh, make sure you serve those customers immediately? And I walk away because I don't want to debate about it. And then as I learned, I realized, no, they have to want to do that job for you as a leader. So tell them in a way that it is a team effort. Don't give uh, orders, give instructions and show that you're in it together with them. But I had to learn that along the way. Nobody taught me that. So now it became like, oh, let's go see how we can assist the customers in the cabin. Let's go see what needs to get done. Yeah. And oftentimes they wouldn't let me do it anyway. They would partake in whatever action that was needed because their leader is with them, is guiding them, is supporting them, you know. And then I learned to look for what are the things that would make my team function at their level best? What is it I need to prepare for them? What are the obstacles in their way that I can remove before they even know? So that when they go to do the job, everything aligns to the outcome that I want to see. And when you're working with uh, people from different nationalities, cultures, generations, that even becomes even more challenging. Because what one generation wants to feel uh, like the latest generation, they want to know, why do you want me to do that? Why? What's in it for me? You know, while my generation is like, do it, it's your job. It's your salary at the end of the month. That is what is in it for you. But, you know, the younger generation, they want to know what. Yeah. Or you tell them, go do this. Where is it written? You know, <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not because it's written somewhere. It's because I'm telling you. So I had to find a common ground for all of us. Um, Something I remember my... My professor used to call that um, you have to sell it to them. Sell it to them so they take it from you, whether they want it or not. And I used to wonder, what does this guy mean? My leadership psychology uh, professor. And then I learned it's selling that plausible argument to them in that 
they look at it and they say, you know what, at the end of the day, it has to get done anyway. We might as well do it and enjoy while doing it. So what I try now after all those trial and errors, because leadership, it, it just, you never say, I've developed a style and it works. No, just the time you think you've got it down, that is when someone will throw in a curveball at you and you'll think, I know nothing. I know nothing. I need to go back to the drawing board and figure this out. So around that trial and error period, I realized that every situation calls for a different style of leadership. Yes, you can develop your own, I call it a leadership personality. But what you really, really need is a multiple intelligence approach to leadership. That is encompassing all the intelligences you can think of cultural intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence, your even spiritual intelligence, looking at that human being and seeing the greater good in them and knowing that everybody goes through a hard time, that sometimes if they're giving you an attitude, it's not about you. It's sometimes about their circumstance, but it takes time and a lot of uh, reflective actions from the part of the leader for you to come to that level where you know it's never about me sometimes. Powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Good lessons. I mean, that's that, that many, many lessons. And I like what you said. You know, it's, 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 every, it's responding to the situation and every situation is different. And, you know, just mm. as you are talking, now that's why I came to realize, yeah, you, you lead different teams. Yes. So definitely stretches you, you because each time you're on a flight, the team is different. Cabin crew are different. different. Passengers are different. Passengers are different. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. It's, wow. Um, it's like uh, learning to dance on a flying carpet every day. <laughs> every day. Yes. Wow. No, this was a great leadership lessons. Thank you for sharing that. So in terms of being a leader, what are some of your joys? What are the things that you've enjoyed really about being a leader? You know, it's when, when someone gets it, you know, uh, because not only am I a leader now, in the past year, I've also assumed the role of training. So I train both uh, cabin crew and pilots. So I, I think I take that with me or that has always, the training part has always been in me. And also because I'm a coach, that training has always been in me. And sometimes you're trying to guide someone to do a task because maybe you, uh, you need to assess them or you need to perform um, or complete a performance review on them. And you really want to get this thing so that you know the performance review can reflect that development. And you're trying to put it in a way that you stir in their curiosity for them for them to do it because they want to do it, but not because the job requires it or because their manager requires it, but for them. And uh, because once you reach the person, once you stir up their, their own curiosity to do something or to learn something, then that lesson is embedded and it's for life. And then they grasp it. And then one day, because they will always remember you because you're one overall leader. You're the one who wears a different uniform. So one day you're just minding your business, you're walking across to an aircraft and someone comes from another aircraft, uh, you know, running to you and, Ruth, 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 I did my flight with this. You taught me this and this and this and this. Or maybe they were asking you, they want to move on to a different grade, a promotion. 
and they were asking for tips and you gave them and they followed up with you out of work because they can if they want to. They reached out to you and you continued with this support. And then finally, this person tells you, you know what, Ruth, thank you for your time. Thank you for your motivation, your support. I got the role. And you're like, ah, oh, that is so good. That is so good. And sometimes it's not just because they got something, also being in that position of influence. It comes with a lot of responsibility. And sometimes you can feel it, the energy in the team, because that's why you need to have that multiple approach to leadership, whereby you encompass even the spiritual part of you, whereby you can read the room, you can read the energy. So when you go for the briefing, maybe you read that energy and you can feel something here is not right. But you get an inspiration and you say something that changes that atmosphere immediately. And you see the team just, you know, beam and they're happy. And at the end of the day, they say, oh, you know, that destination is one of the toughest flights we do. But because of you, it was a good flight. And you think, no, it's because of you too. Because you are part of that team and you accepted to be integrated into the team effort. So when you have that um that sort of influence on people, it's very rewarding. And uh, my prayer is always that I use it for the greater good, that people walk away feeling empowered. People don't walk away feeling, oh, that flight person from Kenya, oh my gosh, she's so this and that, that they walk away thinking, oh, she's a nice person because it's not about me being nice, it's about them enjoying their work environment because people can only perform optimally if they enjoy what they do. I know you had kind of alluded to the, the challenges from your role, you know, multicultural, multi-generational, maybe anything that you can say, wow, this, this attempts I have to endure as a leader. What are some of the things that, you know, it's not all a bed of roses, no. is it? No, it's not always a bed of roses because sometimes, especially when you're tired, <laughs> and you're jet lagged and you know um, maybe you're having very difficult uh, experience with your customers they are not getting their demands met or they have very high expectations of service that you maybe are not ready to meet not that you're not ready to meet that as I said sometimes you have limited resources maybe you didn't get their favorite drink maybe they missed their favorite meal so if you have challenges from the customers and your team is also disintegrating as a leader it leaves you really really uh you know <laughs> in a place of despair sometimes almost because unless the team pulls together customers yes they can get upset but if your team is also upset then your role becomes difficult because now you have nowhere to run because remember, as a leader, it is your team that has the answers. The leader never has the answers. You're just there to facilitate those answers. So sometimes people think, oh, but the leader knows. Yeah, I know my role from a training experience point of view. But oftentimes, it is the team that is holding the answers. They are the ones literally holding the sky for you. Yeah. So you have to always make sure that whatever happens, that team remains intact. That team uh, is working 
in unison, that they are not colliding. Because customers will, at one point, yes, get off, but this team will remain in touch with you. And they are supposed to also operate on the way back because you can get to a destination. Customers will get off. You'll get new customers. So even if you had one customer whose you know, needs you are not able to meet as they wanted at that point, they will get off at that point. However, your team will come back with you. So if you lost your team or if you broke your team, you still have to operate within the sector on the way back. And sometimes it could be multiple sectors. So sometimes you do one sector from point A to B to C before you come back to base. So you need that team. And sometimes it's a week-long trip. You need that team to remain intact. So if they are quabbling amongst themselves or if you as a leader are not able to facilitate the resources that they need to facilitate that team effort, then it gets very, um, can get chaotic as well, especially now if you're not getting that support from your captain because your captain is the one you're reporting to. So you always have to be in a position whereby you make sure your captain is happy and your team is happy. And you're their link, you're the link between them. So you have to make sure both of them are happy at all times and both of them are doing their duties with the knowledge that you as their flight passer is aware and understanding of their needs. So it can get tricky sometimes. It's not always a bed of roses, so to speak. And sometimes that, I would say, that challenge could be also a personal one. You're not understanding each other because of, your backgrounds even. So you have to be able to identify that very quickly. And sometimes you have to overlook it, especially if it is on the part of your junior, because at the end of the day, you know, if you focus on that one issue, then it will build on to something else. And that's why I say you have to pick your battles as well. And it's not about being assertive or not assertive. It's about knowing what do, you, what do I focus on here? What adds value to this moment? Part one of this episode ends here. Join us in our next episode for part two. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.